Hello, Ebenezer Church. My name is Rob Lau, one of Ebenezer's pastors, but today I'm coming from you from, well, the Sea of Galilee. It was here in the region of Galilee, that's northern Israel, where Jesus spent most of his life in ministry. In fact, most of his life. He was raised in Nazareth. His base for ministry throughout his ministry career was here in Capernaum. He's just he spent so much time here. And over the course of the next few moments, I wanted to share some of the experiences we've had this week in Israel. A good-sized group of our congregation is over here right now with me. And I know that some of you wanted to come. Maybe some of you didn't, but it's a powerful experience. And I thought that perhaps it would be worth sharing. So we've never done this before. I'd ask you to have some grace. Along the way, what you're going to find is that at each stop, we're going to show you a bit of what we've seen and tell you a bit of the story that accompanies it. And at each stop, my hope is we'll share just a a little tidbit of why that story, that moment, that experience in Scripture is meaningful in our lives. So... We're here on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, which is an amazing experience uh, for our group. Just a few things that I want to point out that happened right here on this sea. It was on this sea that Jesus was walking one day and he came across a man who'd been fishing all night long and had caught nothing and Jesus called him to go back out. Now, it didn't make any sense to go back out. It didn't make any sense. But Peter took him fishing anyway and of course that began a friendship that would last the rest of both of their lives. It was on this sea that one day the disciples were out passing from one side of the sea to the other and Jesus was up on a mountainside praying. He saw them in quite literally over their head. It was on this sea that Jesus walked out. They thought he was a ghost because the bottom of the Sea of Galilee was believed to be a place where you could enter the underworld they were afraid one of, the goats, one of the ghosts had gotten out. It was a remarkable thing to see Jesus walking on the water, and they thought he was a ghost, but of course he wasn't. He came out, and Peter walked to him. Another experience was when the disciples were all in the boat, and Jesus was with them this time. The winds and the waves came, and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. So many amazing things happened here on this sea there is a common theme the common theme is that there are going to be some storms and some difficult times in our lives there are going to be some times where we fish all night and we don't catch anything sometimes when the winds blow and the rains fall that our God is with us every step of the journey through every wave and every wake our God is with us Here is where the most important sermon in the history of the world was preached. It was here that the Sermon on the Mount was given. Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountain and he started to speak to them. And he began the great reversal of morality in history. He began by saying, blessed are the poor. Or, as Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
It's counterintuitive. It's not what we ever would have expected. Blessed are the poor. No, blessed are the rich. But Jesus tells us, blessed are the poor. And blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who are hungry. And blessed are those who are thirsty. Jesus continues this role reversal of morality by going on to say a, a formula. He says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I'm telling you, don't even let the thoughts that would lead to murder get started in your heart. I tell you, don't even give yourself over to hate. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It was here that Jesus Christ gave us the greatest statement on ethics and how we treat one another in the history of this planet. What a tremendous gift. here in the city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum itself is from two Hebrew words, Kafar and Nahum, meaning the village of Nahum. It was likely the village where Nahum not only lived, but probably was the village elder and leader, the Old Testament prophet. But that's not the most important thing that happened here in the city of Nahum, uh, Capernaum. The most important thing that's ever happened here in the city of Capernaum is that this was the basis of Jesus' earthly ministry for over two years of that ministry. And as you look behind me, you see what's been called the White Synagogue. The White Synagogue dates from the 4th century AD. At the base, you can see that the blocks are darker. You see a very distinctive color change. The white stone above comes from the 4th century, but the darker stones below date from the time of Jesus. This is the synagogue in which Jesus Christ preached regularly during his years of ministry based out of Capernaum here in the region of Galilee. But that's not the only powerful thing to see here in Capernaum. You see a fairly large building, a curiously shaped building. In fact, if you look closely, what you could see is that the building almost looks like it's comprised of bows from ships. And that's because that's exactly what it was designed to look like. You see, during an archaeological dig, something fascinating was uncovered here in Capernaum. A room, a room no different from any other first century house, except for the fact that surrounding this room, there were the foundations of an octagonal building. Almost certainly what this came to mean is that this was the church. This church was in existence here in the city of Capernaum. It was in existence from the early part of the first into the second century. Why is that so significant that there was a church here? Well, because Jesus lived here and his friend Peter lived here and Peter's mother-in-law lived here and the Gospel of Mark tells us that it was there at Peter's mother-in-law's house, which almost certainly was Peter's home, that Jesus healed a man. It's fascinating that Jesus heals anybody, but what's particularly interesting about this story is that the man couldn't get in to see Jesus, and so his friends took him up on top of the roof, and they made a hole in the roof, and they lowered him down. And I think it bears a wonderfully important question for you and for me, for our lives, and it's this. Who are the people that are taking you in front of Jesus? This man, he couldn't move. He needed help, and he had friends who were his stretcher bearers that took him into the presence of God. Who's carrying you in the presence of God? But also, 
gifts? Who are you helping to carry into God's presence on a regular basis? Such important questions, such a beautiful story in a remarkable place. As you can see here on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, we find ourselves, the water's right there, was at a place just along the shoreline when one night Peter went fishing. Now, it wasn't any special thing. Peter had gone fishing a hundred times before, except for the last three years he hadn't been a fisherman. He'd been fishing for men. But he denied Christ. He'd walked away at his best friend's hour of greatest need. He didn't catch any fish. But as dawn broke, he heard someone cry out from the shoreline. Of course it was Jesus. He said, have you caught any fish? They said, no. He said, throw your nets on the other side. The Bible tells us they brought in 153 fish that day. One fish representative of every nation across the earth. But then, it's what happened next that I find so powerful. Jesus invites Peter to return to the work that he's always been called to do. And he does it with a formulaic response and call. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me perfectly? And Peter says, no. I love you, but it's not perfect. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I love this story for so many reasons. There's the poetry of Jesus' call. There's the way that it connects to the original call story earlier in Peter's story. But here's the most important takeaway Jesus Christ didn't expect Peter to be perfect. He expected Peter to strive to be faithful. He expected Peter to feed the sheep. I think that's God's call in our lives today too. Not to be perfect. God knows there will be times we fail and let God down. But God still calls me and God calls you to be part to feed the sheep. What an amazing story. Not only for Peter, but for our lives as well. here at the church of Tabga, and it's here that uh, a few years ago something remarkable happened out of a desire to build some new projects. A uh, construction crew was facilitating their work and they uncovered a mosaic. Now what was interesting about the mosaic is the mosaic surrounded a rock outcropping. As they called an archaeologist, they uncovered this outcropping and what they discovered was that around the the rocky outcropping was a tile mosaic depicting five loaves and two fish here on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus instituted this remarkable miracle from the little he created much not only is this a worthwhile story because Jesus did something amazing but it, I think it also has great bearing on our lives today there are just some times in our lives where we feel like we don't have enough. But in God's hands, we have exactly what we need to do the work of God in this world. So, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm standing here in the Jordan River. I just had a chance to baptize two people from Ebenezer Church. I don't know if you heard me the first time. In the Jordan River, where Jesus himself was baptized. And then we had a chance to remember our baptismal vows together as uh, other other folks. Because once God has done the work of baptism, we don't have to do it again. It was an opportunity for folks to have a similar experience to that which Jesus had. It's such a, a, a beautiful place such a meaningful time, but if, if you remember, there was a tremendous story that happened around it. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went to John, here in this very river. John didn't want to baptize him. John, in fact, said, I'm the one that should be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus said, it's important that I do this. He was already giving us an example, even at the very beginning of his ministry. John took him down in the water, and, and as as the Bible describes it when Jesus came back up out of the water, the heavens themselves opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice came down from heaven and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I find great pleasure. Some translations say, this is my beautiful and beloved son. It's an important verse in my life, as many of you know. Part of the reason that at the end of every worship service that I lead at Ebenezer Church, I pronounce a benediction, a blessing on all of you to remind you that through Christ, God sees us exactly the way God saw Jesus as his beautiful and beloved children. What a beautiful gift are the waters of our baptism. An even more beautiful gift, the depth of our God's love. He should call us his children. Hallelujah. standing here at Caesarea by the sea. Now Caesarea isn't a town we spend a lot of time talking about, but it's an important place in scripture. You can see just behind me coming up out of the waves the remains of a palace built by Herod the Great. But it was also here at Caesarea that both Peter and Paul were held as prisoners before their journeys to Rome where they were executed for their faith. That's not all that's taken place here though. There is an incredibly important event occurring here in Acts chapter 10, here in Caesarea. Peter has received a vision. It's a permissive vision. It gives him new permission to disregard dietary restrictions of the past. The laws no longer hold sway. He comes here to meet a man by the name of Cornelius, a Gentile. At the beginning of that exchange, Peter expresses concern that perhaps he shouldn't be in a Gentile's home, but he'd heard from God who said he should no longer judge those who are of different backgrounds and different perspectives. Perhaps an important word for us in the midst of a challenging society today. But here's perhaps the most important thing. That passage ends with what we could call a second Pentecost. The first Pentecost takes place in Acts chapter 2. It's when the Holy Spirit is unleashed on the Jewish people in Jerusalem following the death and resurrection of Jesus. But here in Acts chapter 10, we see the Holy Spirit unleashed again amongst the Gentiles, our forebears in the faith. And it all took place right here so that we could have the experience of knowing Jesus Christ and making Him known. The 
place where I'm standing right now was first settled 7,000 years ago. Over my shoulder you can see the remnants of a more recent renovation accomplished by King Solomon only 3,000 years ago. There are in fact 23 different layers of villages beneath my feet. It is one of the most significant archaeological sites in the world. Its past is remarkable. You see, coming from the east to the west out of Asia was a major trade route. It was here in this community that that east-west trade route connected with the north-south trade route that went from Africa all the way up to Europe. As simply as possible, this was the corner of the ancient world. This is where Asia, Africa, and Europe all met. It was prime real estate. That's why there are 23 layers beneath me. Each time that a new country in one of those regions would come to power, they would make certain that they exercised their control of this location. Not only because of its strategic import, but also because of their capacity to take in taxes here from trade routes. But while the past is an important piece of this city, it's the future that it's most well known for. See, in Revelation chapter 16, John sees a final battle taking place right here at the city of Hamagido, or translated Armageddon. It's a city that became synonymous with war, and therefore John saw the final battle taking place right here. But just a quick editorial note, that's not the end of the story. The story of God's intercession on human behalf doesn't end with Armageddon. It ends sometime later. Revelation 21, where we hear, I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a word comprised of two Hebrew words, Jeru and Shalom. Jerusalem means the city of new peace. What John tells us is that there is coming a city of new, new peace, a new Jerusalem. Armageddon is an important piece in the Bible, but it's not the end of the story. The end of the story is when God walks hand in hand with you and me, wiping away every tear from our eyes. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away, and the living God has made all things new. We're here in the city of Nazareth. The largest city in the entire region of Galilee with over a quarter of a million residents, but it wasn't always like this. In fact, when Mary first received the message from the angel, right here in this town, she lived in a little weed of a town, a tiny town. In fact, weed is what Netzer means, from which the word Nazareth comes, just a tiny little town. But my goodness, what an important town. Behind me, you see the Church of the Annunciation. In the grotto basement of this church are the ruins of Mary's childhood home where she heard the call from the angel that she was going to be with child, that she would have a baby boy and that she was to name him Emmanuel, God with us. What an amazing, amazing way for God to announce God's coming presence 
a young lady, a scared dad, a weed of a town. God uses the most uncommon things to change this world. Things very much like you and me. I'm here at Cana in Galilee. If you remember from John chapter 2, it was right here that Jesus attended a wedding. I I just had the opportunity uh, to help over 20 couples on our trip reaffirm their wedding vows right here at this wedding chapel in Cana. Jesus told the, the folks at the wedding who had run out of wine, he told them to fill up six jars with water. And when they had done so, he instructed them then to take part of it to the host who declared that the wine was excellent wine. It's a transformational event that takes place. The water becomes the wine. It's the first miracle, according to the Gospel of John, that Jesus ever does. I think the thing that's really important for us to remember, not only is that our God possesses power over water and wine alike, but that our God is in the business of transformation. From helping us go from what we have been to what in Christ we could be. Something that's remarkable. Something that is truly, truly good. Thanks be to God for this amazing place. For the chance to remember that in God's hands, the ordinary can become extraordinary. Ebenezer, thank you so much for spending these last few moments with our Israel team. (laughs) I hope that you were blessed by it, and we're looking forward to seeing you real soon. Please continue to keep us in your prayers, and I promise we'll continue to keep you in ours. Until we see you again, Shalom. Shalom.